following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you the listener. Lily Darling, Plunder Quest, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park 3, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Battle at Big Rock, Prehistoric Planet, The Land Before Time, The Tonight Show, starring Jimmy Fallon, The Office, Die Hard, It's a Wonderful Life, and Safety Not Guaranteed. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or genetic hybrid animals made in a lab by mad scientists. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every movie. Uh, And it's usually the person that picks the movie, and this week I am very excited to be talking to writer and director Stephanie Hubbard. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Hi, thanks so much for having me. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great as well. Thank you. Uh, So, Stephanie, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and um, maybe like how we know each other and what kind of things you're into? Definitely. So I am a writer-director. I recently released my first feature-length film that I wrote and directed called Lily Darling. It's a punk rock romance that takes place in 2006 and celebrates the music of the time. Um, And I had so much fun writing it and directing it. And I really got to pour, you know, my heart into it. And and it's really an expression of my art. So it always means so much to me anytime anybody has a chance to watch it. Um, And I think people have really gotten a kick out of it taking place in 2006 as well. You know, there's um, mixed CDs and iPods and, you know, not a lot of cell phones or technology in that way. And note passing is something I did so much in high school. So the characters write and pass notes to each other and things like that. So I think there's a lot of nostalgia um, that people have been saying they've been really enjoying the film. So it always makes me so happy to hear. Um, And uh, not only did I write and direct Lily Darling, but I'm also the founder of a streaming service that it's on called Pure Magic Pictures. And that is how Lewis and I know each other because Lewis is one of the ongoing writers for two of our shows on Pure Magic Pictures. One is Good Magical Morning, which is a feel-good news show that covers topics like tech and movies and geek stuff. And we also have Music of the Week where we highlight not so well-known indie bands or medium well-known indie bands, you know, just discover new indie music. And also a late night show called Good Night Tonight. And so Lewis is on the writing team for that as well. So I'm so excited that I met him because he's been such a great fit so far writing with us. And I'm also excited to, you know, get to join him on on Dinos Dinos v. Robos. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, I am one of those people that saw Lily Darling recently. I got to attend the premiere. And I can attest to uh, everything you said. It's very, um, it's very fun. I, I really enjoyed the fact that it was a period piece. Uh, for me, it was nostalgic because I definitely grew up like in the punk scene um, during that time period. Like in 2006, I was way into all of the music that's featured in the film. Um, so it was really fun. And I think that your passion really comes through. I think it was a very good decision on your part to set it during that time because it means so much to you. And that is clear uh, throughout the movie. The performances are just really joyful and 
um, really well done, and and the soundtrack is so great and moving, uh, and it's just it's just a lot of fun. Um, so I would highly encourage listeners to check out Pure Magic Pictures, become a subscriber, and watch Lily Darling. We're gonna have links to all of that in the show notes for you. So we'll make that easy for you to subscribe and and check that out. Um, but yeah, thanks. Uh, and uh, Stephanie. How about you tell the listeners which movie we are going to be discussing today on Robots vs. Dinosaurs? Today, we're going to be discussing Jurassic World, the first Jurassic World film that came out in 2015. I love it, and I'm so excited to be talking with you about it. Me too. Um, Jurassic World is awesome. It's uh, the fourth sequel of Jurassic Park, but it's not called Jurassic Park 4 because it deliberately skips over Jurassic Park 2 and 3. Um, it's That's still kind of up in the air with the newest sequel because they are bringing back Dr. Grant and Dr. Sattler spoilers for Jurassic World Dominion, which comes out soon. Um, but, but yeah, so everything that I heard about Jurassic World when it was coming out in 2015 is that it's only it, it's really only concerned with the first movie, um, and there are definitely some like references and Easter eggs to the other sequels. But in my opinion, this this is a better sequel than either two or three. How do, do you have any like strong feelings about Jurassic Park two or three? You know, I actually really love Jurassic Park three. I okay. really do. I'm kind of a sucker for Jurassic Park three. It's one of it's my second favorite. Of course, Jurassic Park one has to be your first favorite. Jurassic Park 2 is my husband's second favorite, but Jurassic Park 3 is my second favorite. And I just I just really love um, the characters and the story and, and everything that's going on in that film. And something about them discovering that they're in a birdcage really got me in Jurassic Park 3, where they're like, it's a birdcage. And the big reveal is so funny or not funny, but, you know, um, <laughs> very like emotional and they really got me with with that one um so i actually like jurassic park three but can i tell you the a little bit of an embarrassing story please you want to hear it uh yes i think our (laughs) listeners do too (laughs) i probably should not be admitting that this happened but a long long time ago in a galaxy far far away probably in the year 2013 or 2014 um, I, you know how they announced the movies are going to come out so far in advance, right? So I'm mm-hmm. hearing about Jurassic World's going to come out, Jurassic World's going to come out, and this is such a big deal because it's been so long since anything Jurassic Park had come out. Like, there is a pretty big gap between Jurassic Park 3 and Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Kalani, my husband Kalani lets me know, like, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go to, out to the movies, we're going to drive out. At this point, we're living in California. We're going to drive out to this really big theater that's like down in, I think it was Oakland, um, to go watch Jurassic Park, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, it's happening. We're going to go see Jurassic Park. I'm so excited, thinking it was the fourth one. (laughs) And we literally show up to the movies and they were playing Jurassic Park 1 in 3D. That's what we were watching. Because <laughs> oh. they had re-released Jurassic Park 1 in 3D at that time. And I showed up, I was like, are you guys all so excited to watch the new Jurassic Park? And they're like, what are you talking about? We're watching Jurassic Park 1. I was like, <laughs> oh. But we had re-released it in 3D. So that was very disappointing. So all that to say, my hype, build-up, anticipation for Jurassic World was probably more than the average person. <laughs> Yeah, I do remember that. I think it was like the 20th anniversary of Jurassic Park. Mm. Um, Jurassic yeah. Park is is my favorite movie. 
it's a movie that anytime it's playing in the theater, I'm going to go see it, uh, no matter what I have to do or where I have to travel. Um, Exactly, so, of yeah. course. So the story checks out that we would tra- drive so far to go see because they were releasing it in theaters again. And it was it was amazing seeing it on the big screen and like the detail. And it, I can't remember, was it in 3D or was it just in like, maybe it was just IMAX or something like that, but it was a special viewing, so. The yeah. showing I saw was in 3D. And honestly, the only moment that even stood out to me that was like, oh, this is worth seeing in 3D was, uh, weirdly enough, when Hammond comes into the trailer and you can kind of see more background details because they're popping a little more. And that has, like, yeah. it should have been, like, you know, more action stuff was um, the, the reason to justify doing a 3D. Um but I don't have any complaints about it. It was it was just yeah. fun seeing it on a big screen and like hearing the loud booming dinosaur roars again. So mm, that's what that's it. what I come to yes. any Jurassic Park movie for. Yeah, yeah. But that's cool. I didn't. I guess I didn't really realize that they had kind of ignored Jurassic Park two and three in Jurassic Worlds. But now that you pointed out, it does kind of make sense. They didn't really acknowledge those <laughs> in the film. Yeah, I think I think what... Uh, Colin, so Colin Trevorrow directed this movie, and I think what he said is that it doesn't necessarily bury the, the second or third movie, um, but it doesn't rely on them either. Uh, there's no direct continuation of any points. There are a couple of Easter eggs, though. Like, for example... They show a character reading Dr. Ian Malcolm's book that appears in the second movie. Um, mm. I think it's called uh, God Made Dinosaurs or something like that is the name of his book. And they show that book in Jurassic World. Um, another yeah. reference is the Spinosaurus from Jurassic Park 3. Uh, they have like a, a skeleton of it in, in the park in Jurassic World, like on, in the visitor center. Um, right. But yeah, yeah. nothing. Um little easter eggs there that's cool yeah uh so all right so this movie was directed by colin trevorrow he is also known for a couple of other films like the book of henry and he was actually supposed to at one point make a star wars movie but then somehow that uh that that got that got transferred to somebody else um but he has this really cool indie movie that was like his first big hit called safety not guaranteed have you ever seen that no, I haven't. It's pretty fun. It's like a um, low-budget uh, time travel movie. It's it's pretty interesting. And I think that as as you're watching this movie, Jurassic World, it's very apparent that Colin Trevorrow is a huge fan of the series. Like, this mm-hmm. feels like a really big-budget uh, fan film, almost. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, and Colin Trevorrow is also going or directed the new Jurassic World as well. That's right. Uh, I think he is um, the, let me check real quick on IMDb. I know he's like the executive producer at this point. I, oh yeah, he is also the director. Did he direct uh, Fallen Kingdom? No, okay, so (laughs) Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom was directed by J.A. Bayona. Um, However... Uh, uh, Colin Trevorrow did also direct this sh- this ten minute short called Battle at Big Rock, um, which mm-hmm. takes place right after Fallen Kingdom, and it's kind of like a little interim setting up a little bit more of the details of uh, the movie that Dominion is going to be. So um, I don't know. I think he's got a good handle on uh, directing dinosaurs. Yeah, well, I mean, he did a great job with Jurassic World, so I mm. have very high expectations for the new one. Absolutely. 
Um, some of the stars in this movie, we've got Chris Pratt coming fresh off of uh, Parks and Rec uh, back mm-hmm. in 2015. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, B.D. Wong is, is the only character from the original movies that comes back. B.D. Wong plays Dr. Henry Wu. Um, and I, I really, later on, I think we're going to really dig into the evolution of that character because that's one of my favorite things about this movie. Um, we've also got Vincent D'Onofrio and Jake Johnson, uh, and uh, Andy Buckley, who plays David Wallace in The Office, um, as well as Judy Greer. Did I leave anyone out? Jimmy Fallon. You can't forget. Jimmy Fallon makes the most hilarious little cameo. I loved it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the gyrosphere. He does the like instructional yeah. video. That's a great cameo. I love the little cameo. Honestly, as a as a... When it comes to my deep artistic, you know, director, writer, I actually don't really like that so much because it kind of pulls you out. You know, I think what movies do that I love so much is they really just completely envelop you into this world where you can like forget you're even on planet Earth for a little while and you spend this Mm. time just totally sucked in. So when Jimmy Fallon pops on, all of a sudden you can the illusion can be broken so I so for that reason, it's like not necessarily my favorite thing when movies do that. But besides that, I mean, I did love the Jimmy Fallon being so hilarious and just like goofing around the gyrosphere and like <laughs> spilling chemicals on himself and like passing <laughs> out. It was it was such a great little bit. So how could I complain? Right. <laughs> yeah. He gets like the Dilophosaurus venom on him and he's like, what this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's this like, is it real? <laughs> is it real? <laughs> is it real? <laughs> Yeah, it's a really funny performance. Yeah, he fainted. So it was real. (laughs) Yeah, I hear what you're saying about how it kind of breaks the immersion Um, that for that reason. That's the reason that Jurassic Park is always going to be the best one, because it um, Mm. the nature of it. It's it's before the park opens. And, uh, you know, they talk about how these corporations are going to be, you know, sponsoring the park and. And whatnot in the future. That's why they brought the lawyer there, and there are all these money-making opportunities that the park provides. But it hasn't happened yet, so we don't have to really see like that um, uh, corporate, like corporate. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, scavenging of things, and like you know, people, them putting their names all over everything. Which that's kind of as much as it is a distraction. It's also one of the interesting things about Jurassic World is that they totally acknowledge that you know, like the the Indominus Rex, the main antagonist of the movie. The only reason it exists is because Verizon Wireless uh, representatives from Verizon Wireless are are giving money to the park to create a dinosaur that they can mm-hmm. brand and put their name on. Verizon Wireless presents the Indominus Rex. Uh, is what Claire like says out loud cynically at one point. Right. And the um, deep mm. irony to all of this is Jurassic World itself has Starbucks and Jamba Juice and car brand. I can't remember the brand of the car, which is good. Like, maybe I shouldn't even say the brands on your podcast. They didn't pay me to say them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like Jimmy know? Buffett's Margaritaville is centered prominently. <laughs> yeah, so you see the brand deals that Jurassic World itself made and the fact that within Jurassic World, they have to make the brand deals to get the amusement park to be financially viable. It's just, it's just right in front of you, which I think is ironic and fun. <laughs> it is when they go to the vis- visitor center, it's prominently the, the Samsung visitor center. Um, right, Jake Johnson's right. character, Lowry is very cynical too about it. And he's like, you know, when he, when he hears that, um, the, 
the Indominus Rex is funded by Verizon. He's like, what's next? The Pepsi Saurus, the Tostito <laughs> Don. <laughs> I love it though. That was actually pretty funny lines. And that is something I appreciated about this movie overall is it really had some great comedy mm. sprinkled throughout. Um, I would say more so than the previous three Jurassic Parks. Like not totally, like of course Jurassic Park did have some comedy in it. But I think I feel like they upped the comedy a bit for this, which I think is, um, you know, cohesive with the way that entertainment went as a whole. Um, I feel like nowadays there's like even Star Wars and Marvel all have more comedy, I think, sprinkled throughout. But I did I did think they did a great job with it, with, um, you know, when Claire says to her nephews, like, put your seatbelts on. And they're like, there aren't any seatbelts. She's like hold hands <laughs> she like closes the back and then the brother like reaches to hold his brother's hand and, like cut away at the perfect right moment and those little moments just really made me snicker like I appreciated those throughout the film totally agree the first movie maybe had some like I would describe dry wit um yeah. but this this has a lot of like straight up comedy a lot of slapstick uh the mm-hmm. movie opens with a visual gag really it's like uh, the first image that we see are two eggs hatching. Um, I'm pretty sure that we're seeing the Indominus Rex hatching and, like, an, another one in the background yeah. that we later find out, sadly, uh, got eaten by its sibling. Um, but then it cuts to this, like, giant claw smashing down from a low camera angle, and then it pans up, and it's just a bird, like a little tiny bird um, stepping on the snow. <laughs> so it's just this, like, mm-hmm. fake-out visual gag. Uh, and it brings us into the house of uh, our two main kid characters in this movie, Gray and his older brother, Zach. Um, they are going to be visiting Jurassic World because their aunt, uh, Claire, is like, you know, what? I, I don't know her job title, but she's she's very cl- every uh, she's very clearly in charge. She's the head boss of most things, I guess, uh, yeah. is how I would describe her. Um, and she. Uh, and so, the, yeah, they're going to visit her. Um, Gray, I can't really tell if he's excited. He's, like, kind of looking through this viewfinder with, like, it's really, like, one of those old toys that has, like, the slides of dinosaurs. Um, and he's looking through that. And uh, Judy Greer is his mom. And she comes in, and she's like, hey, we're going to be late to the airport. And he starts, like, spouting off, like, exactly the amount of time it takes to get to the airport and all these facts about dinosaurs. And he's really good at listing things. Um, so it's kind of setting up, he's kind of like the the Tim in this character. Like, he knows a lot about dinosaurs, and he's, uh, that, that mm-hmm. expertise is going to come in handy when they're being chased by them later on. Um, yeah. What do you think of these kids? Are they, like, do you like them as, uh, as sort of, like, stand-ins for the audience to experience the park? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I think they're, uh, I think they're both really good actors, and they're doing, like, good age performances like I think they're about seven years apart or something like that the kid is probably around 10 I think they do say his name at some point but um the older brother is clearly a teenager he's got very different concerns he doesn't really care about dinosaurs uh until he gets to the park um and also they they kind of sprinkle in this whole backstory about how the parents uh Judy Greer and and Andy Buckley are are going through a divorce um so that weirdly is like a prominent theme in the Jurassic series. 
the I don't know if they call it out exactly, but in Jurassic Park, Tim and Lex, the two little kids, um, part of the reason they're coming to the park, this is definitely like a detail from the book at least, uh, is that their parents are going through a divorce. And that's why John Hammond invited them to, to come like stay the weekend uh, to oh. kind of like give them a distraction. Um, I see. Yeah. It's a weird, so may- like, running theme throughout the Jurassic yeah. series. I mean, it's definitely in Jurassic Park 3 is that the parents had already gotten a divorce, but they're yep. definitely, like, going through their, um, you know, getting, like, struggles and things. I did feel like um, the actors, Ty and Nick, who played Zach and Gray, did a great job. Like, their performances were great. Their characters were definitely likable. Um, I feel like, like... First of all, I just have to say I love Jurassic World. This movie is excellent. So that's just like hands down. I absolutely love it. I really enjoy watching it. I would say maybe when it comes to the script writing that that would be a place where it wasn't like as strong. I would say with the with the boys when it comes to like build it up and payoff specifically. And maybe it's because I missed something. So I, I want to be humble about this and say maybe it just, it just didn't click for me personally. But I feel like... Um, the older brother was like constantly like the girls was his big distraction, right? He didn't pay attention to his little brother mm-hmm. because of girls. And I wouldn't necessarily say because of his girlfriend at home, he didn't seem very interested in her specifically, <laughs> but he was always making eye contact with the girls at the park and these things. So I felt like that was a, a build up to something. And then mm-hmm. I didn't see the payoff to that, that I was like, I'm like, they're leading up to something here. What are they leading up to? And maybe the payoff is just that he became a better older brother or something like that. But like, this is what, okay, what I would have done if I got to write the movie, if I got to do a rewrite, Mm. is right when they're in line for the gyrospheres, he's making eye contact with these girls and they're like, you know, flirting or snickering. And then the little brother says something dumb that embarrasses him in front of the girls or something. Yeah, I think he's like, what what do you think is going to happen by just staring at them? (laughs) Just staring at them, right? But I'm like, okay, how cool would it have been? This is my little fan fiction. Mm-hmm. If he was flirting with these girls and they followed them in the gyrospheres, right? Off course, stayed with them, get attacked by dinosaurs. Now they're protecting these girls or they're watching the girls get eaten or <laughs> there's some kind of effect. It'll cause an effect. Like what was the result of him flirting with the girls? Because I feel like there was a little bit of a, of a buildup without as much as strong of a payoff as I was looking for when I was like, what are they pointing out with this? What are your thoughts on that, Lewis? Am I missing something here? Or do you, do you kind of see what I'm saying? I don't think you're missing anything. I think that's a, I think that would kind of strengthen the story arc of the older brother a little bit because yeah, he does kind of just, um, it's, it's just like, it seems like when he realizes they're stuck in this situation, that's kind of when he makes a churn and is like, well, now I have to be responsible and I have to make sure that my little brother stays alive. Um, but yeah, it, it would have been, I think it would have been stronger if it was like a little bit his fault that they got uh, separated from him. I mean, it, it objectively is because um, they get in the gyrospheres. They're like the last ones to get in it right before everything get, in the park gets shut down. And the, yeah. the ride uh, attendee has to tell everybody else in line, like, sorry. Um, Who, by the way, is my favorite character in the entire film, the ride attendee. Really? <laughs> Yeah. He, Guys, I just work here. Like, you know, the attitude of everybody who works at an amusement park, they go, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the yep. ride. They say enjoy the ride like 5,000 times a day. <laughs> so they say it with no enthusiasm whatsoever. 
It was so funny. That just like made me laugh so hard. It was part. Yeah, that was a perfect little cameo. Everything about that guy, like the way, just the way his out his uniform fit and like his whole stance and like the way, yeah, the way he was just sort of robotically being like, next, next, no, enjoy the ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. But yeah, the brothers were the last two to get on the gyrosphere. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it could have been a little bit stronger if it was like the reason the reason that they got separated or they got lost in the park is not because he was already making that turn towards being an older brother, but rather like it was another dig into, you know, oh, he's, he's being distracted. He's not concerned. He doesn't care what his little brother is interested in. It's just, he needs to follow these girls and then they all get lost. I do, I do think that would have been a little bit more of a, a fun obstacle. Um, to yeah. Yeah. To give, a, give a better bit. payoff later, like you said. Yeah, better payoff for the setup because it kind of felt like his flirtation with girls ended up feeling a little pointless at the end of like, why did they set that up? But um, but yeah, look, we solved it. Look at us, Lewis, us script writers over here. See, this is why I'm glad you're on my script writing team. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, Colin Trevor, you should give us both a call when you make Jurassic uh, World 4 or whatever the sequel is to Jurassic World Dominion. (laughs) Uh, We will come in and be his script polishers because clearly he needs our help making excellent films. (laughs) Obviously, yeah. I mean, these movies have made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worldwide. But we could help them make, I don't know, uh, $200 million. Right. Imagine how much better it would be if we were on the team. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about the Indominus Rex. Um, How do you feel? How do you feel in general about the the I-Rex as a monster, as a dinosaur? Like, do you like that it's the main dinosaur in the movie rather than like a real dinosaur, like like a T-Rex or something? I do. And the reason why is because I think that it points back to the theme from Jurassic one, which is these were never real dinosaurs to begin with. Mm. They were already gene slicing with frogs from day one. So where's, where's the line at that point when you're never really dealing with real dinosaurs to begin with. And this concept of, um, you know, the theme park attendees wanted something bigger and badder, but the, Viewers of the movie also, I feel like, wanted something bigger and badder. And when you already had the biggest, baddest dinosaurs be the, you know, the main dinosaurs in the previous movies, like, you have to go up from there. So I I like that they did that. And I I have no problem with it not being a quote-unquote real dinosaur because there never was one to begin with anyway. So it worked for me. That is such a good point. Um, you You definitely have to give some screen time and some hero moments to the Velociraptors and the T-Rex because they're iconic. Uh, but yeah, it's it, exactly like you said. And, they, and I love that they call it out in this movie because that's always been one of my favorite fan theories of Jurassic, the Jurassic series is that there's a built-in explanation for why uh, even back in the 90s, even, even Dr. Grant was saying in the movie Dinosaurs are more like birds than lizards. They don't look like we t- artists typically draw them as. They would have feathers. They would have different kinds of bones. And they would look drastically different from what we usually imagine them as. And yet when they get to the park, they look exactly like what we imagine them from, from drawings. Um, but the explanation has always been these are not real dinosaurs. Um, right. So I love that this movie like really leans into that. And, and at one point, the... Uh, the, the 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 new John Hammond, Ms. Ronnie, uh, the the owner of the park, is uh, very angry at Wu after the Irex ex- escapes, 
and he finds out all the DNA that they use to make it and, like, the fact that it can camouflage. Um, and Wu kind of pushes back, and he's like, well, yeah, we added cuttlefish genes to help withstand the accelerated growth rate, and uh, it has... Um, uh, it can hide its uh, in, its thermal signature, which is how it escapes from the from the paddock, because they, it also has tree frog DNA, uh, which they gave it to adapt to a tropical climate. And he says, if the genetic code was pure, if you wanted to, you know, really make these dinosaurs exactly like they would would have been, they would look quite different. Um, so I, I just love that the movie really acknowledges that and and kind of pushes back on it. Yeah, and I love where he goes from there, where he's like, yeah, but you, I'm not quoting it exactly because I'm just going off of memory, but he says, yeah, but you created a monster. And it's like, yeah, but a, a house cat is a monster to a canary. It's all relative. It's all, you know, how is this even more or less of a monster? Like, you didn't give me a line. Where is the line? And I think that's a really cool theme in Jurassic Park from day one all the way to now. And like one of my favorite quotes, and I, mi- I might be misquoting, like I said, I don't have it written down, but from Jurassic Park one is you were so busy trying to see if you could, you never stopped to ask if you should. And that same exact theme is still present in Jurassic World today. And, and I love that, you know? Absolutely. And that's what makes Dr. Wu kind of the perfect, um, almost, he's almost a villain at this point in the series because yeah. he's, he is that exact cold, calculating scientist who, who's just doing science for the sake of science, like not for the sake of whether or not it's ethical or whether or not it has uh, Im- Im- lasting implications on, on the modern world. Uh, he's just doing it for the, the sake of discovery and personal gain. So he is kind of like, it's, I, I am, uh, Robots vs. Dinosaurs is not an anti-science podcast. I want to make that clear. Um, <laughs> we but love I, science. <laughs> we absolutely love science, but we don't love yeah. mad science. I would, yeah. I would, as much as I love dinosaurs and I would love to see them, I, if I heard that, if, it, if, if I heard that we had the technology and we actually could resurrect them and the decision was left in my hands, hard pass. Like, I've, I've seen enough movies to know it's a bad idea and we're not going to control it and it's going to it's going to backfire on us. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And they say that in this movie as well, the theme of control, mm. you know, she's in the helicopter and it's bumpy and she's freaking out. And that really is, you know, Bryce, Bryce Dallas Howard character in the film is like the control freak. She starts out as the control freak and she's very uptight. And, you know, we get to see her loosen up throughout the movie and she has her own little character arc. That's very fun to watch. But he, um, who was it who said the sooner you realize that you don't, I think it was, um, um, as Masrani, right. The character Masrani said, um, You'll, you'll enjoy life much more once you realize that you're not ever really in control or something to that merit. Yeah. And um, it's definitely a really cool theme, like you like you were saying throughout the film, of, like, control. Like, do are, are we really in control? How much control do we really have? And that's actually something that is, um, you know, we could go really deep into the, uh, the psychology of that and, and the philosophy of that of our own lives of, like, you know, letting go of control and how much happier we can be as humans when we do that, you know, or letting go of the illusion of control is really what it is, because we really don't have as much control as humans as I think we'd like to have. And I think that's a really cool theme that they've put in all of the Jurassic movies. Totally. Ms. Ronnie, it, it's uh, it, it's 
interesting that they have that conversation in the helicopter the first time because Claire is really worried. Like, Mizrani is very, he's very overconfident in his abilities as a pilot. Um, yeah, he is. <laughs> he's got his instructor there with him. And, the, and, you know, he's like, oh, you know, you only have this many more flights until you actually get your license. Uh, and it's a very bumpy ride. When they land, they show, they immediately show the pilot getting out and like vomiting in the bushes. Um, <laughs> right. He was just exaggerating, though, remember? <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right. And then Mizrani, like, the, to the theme of control, later on when things start going wrong and the Indominus Rex escapes and, and the entire ACU, animal containment unit, uh, gets gets killed by it, he tries to take control once again and charge into the situation by getting in the helicopter, and it only makes things worse, right? Because he ends yeah. up crashing into the into the uh, the birdcage, the te- the pterosaur paddock, um, and releasing all of these these flying uh, lizards now, which causes even more chaos. So yeah, the more you try to to really like to control things that are that you shouldn't be trying to control in the first place, the mm-hmm. worse it seems to go. Yeah, well, back to mad science versus science. I'm happy to hear that if it was up to you. You would not be resurrecting dinosaurs anytime soon. Good thing. Um, nope. If it was up, to, good thing it's not up to me though, because I don't know. That sounds really tempting. I'm like, well, what <laughs> if we just do the, you know, the herbivores only, or you know what I mean? Because it's just, I think as humans, we do have this desire to explore and expand, and you know, go to Mars and do all these things. And I, I do love seeing advances in technology. So good thing it's not up to me. I don't know if I'd make the wisest choice. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that uh, sticking to only the herbivores is a smart decision. Um, so that's a good place to start. What's your plan for containing them, though? No, it would be bad. Yeah. <laughs> I would let them introduce them back into the wild, see what happens to the ecosystem, and back to survival of the fittest. You know, just I don't think it would. It would be all bad. It's a good thing this is all hypothetical. We'd be in serious trouble. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, there's, and there's another character too, that is trying to control nature, uh, using technology and it's Vincent D'Onofrio's character, um, oh, Vic, Vic love Hoskins. Love to hate, him. Love to hate him. him. Yeah, yeah. They did a great job making a character that I hated so much, but didn't hate hating, you know, there's that perfect balance there. Yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio is such a charming actor and I love seeing him play a villain because he does ride that line of like, you know, he's got the big smile and he's a good talker, but everything he's saying is complete bullshit or just, um, just, just downright evil and selfish. Uh, he shows up in the scene, the really cool scene when we see Chris Pratt, I think for the first time in the movie, and he's doing a training exercise with a pack of raptors. He's got these four raptors. Um, that he explains later he has uh, he has imprinted on them since they were hatched, and he's spent pretty much every day with them since then, and that's why they have this this tenuous uh, trusting relationship with him. Um, but they show him like he has got this little clicker device that it, that he uses to somehow communicate with them and hand signals and things, and. It's kind of like if you've ever seen somebody doing like um, like canine police training or like military dog training. It's very very similar, and uh, that's what um, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character shows up to to kind of observe. And and he's got this whole idea that they're going to be able to train these raptors to the point where they can literally use them as a biological weapon in war zones. 
like the, the plan is they're just going to release them and tell them where the targets are and they're going to be completely loyal and do everything exactly as they as they say uh, even though they have you know literally bird and lizard brains um, he's just very overconfident in that plan yeah pretty outrageous <laughs> when it comes right down to it <laughs> she says something like um Oh yeah. So, so actually to go even more into like the, the dog analogy, uh, he does say like the, he wants to breed them for loyalty. He wants to like terminate the rogues and promote only the loyal bloodlines, which is, um, I guess sort of, I don't know if I, well, I don't want to attach an adjective to it. It is, it is the history of dog breeding and it is like the reason why we can keep these things that started out as wolves uh, in our homes and just have, you know, have them guard and protect us um, is because dog breeders throughout history have uh, selected dogs that, like, already show traits of loyalty and companionship, um, and they only breed those and not the ones that are more aggressive or violent. Um, Yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, it's... Do you think eventually that could work with dinosaurs? Like if you if you bred enough generations of raptors, do you think you could make like little puppy raptors that are totally like lap dogs? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, look at the difference between a wolf and a pug and you have it right in front of you. <laughs> you know, is is really strong. I think that um a lot of that though has to do I think more so with the way that an animal is raised. I think that there is a lot of breeding that goes into it for sure. But like to this day, you can have a wild, completely wild animal born in your home in captivity and they're going to be a way tamer, you know? So I don't even know. I, I feel like dog breeding, I'm curious how much of it was selecting loyal dogs versus like the appearance. I feel like a lot of dog breeding was driven by appearance because I think. Um, That's true. That's a you know, good point. You, you can take like, you know, Christian the lion. I don't know if you know the story of Christian the lion, but basically, you know, a lion born in captivity raised by these two guys was just completely tame and loving and sweet and um, never tried to eat them once. And they released him into the wild in Africa and came back and visited years later. And the lion remembered them and gave them a giant hug and still didn't try to eat them, you know? Uh So, um, (laughs) so it's pretty amazing. I think animals, you know, it just depends more so on how they're raised, I think, than how they're bred. That's my personal, my personal opinion, but I do, I am kind of curious, you know, what, what um Vic Vincent's character Vic what he's thinking I'm like hmm how come we haven't tried this with tigers yet you know <laughs> after watching <laughs> tiger and like let's just breed a bunch of tigers in captivity get them super loyal to us you know they love you and then bring them out with us into the military and see who's who they devour right like we don't need velociraptors to do this we have tigers already that's an excellent step what do you think yeah because because that's man he because he's skipping a lot of steps like he's at or i guess adding a lot of extra steps by making it raptors instead of something that's already out there like something that already exists uh lot you know tigers or, or some big cat or something yeah why hasn't he tried it with that um, <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, combine Suicide Squad with it, right? They have little mm-hmm. things you can just like zap them if they go the wrong way or whatever. <laughs> this is the most immoral thing I've ever. Speaking of morals and animal rights, mm-hmm. I feel like this is like 
worse than Tiger King, what I'm describing. So I don't mean it by any by any sense at all. I'm mostly kidding um, about how like crazy um, his suggestion really is, you know, and I think that is a big theme in Jurassic Park. I really appreciate is like to Bryce, their assets and their money makers. Yes. But I you know, to Claire, Bryce's character, but then to Chris Pratt's character, Owen, they're animals and they have feelings and they and they want they have instincts and they're more than just assets and I think that um, that's a really meaningful distinction that they pointed out in the film that I appreciated. That is sort of the distinction. Yeah, actually, to, to be totally clear, we are we are not advocating uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's plan here. Uh, we're just pointing not out the abs- we're pointing out the absurdity of it and the and the ridiculousness exactly. of it. Um, and yeah, that is the yeah. difference: is that he just views them as assets. He views them as we- potential weapons, and I don't think he has any plans to treat them well uh, or to treat them with dignity or respect the way that Owen Grady does. Um, Owen does say, you know, he acknowledges that they have emotions, they have intelligence. And I think, in fact, they show so much of their intelligence in all of the movies. I think that is the reason why they trust Owen, because they are smart enough to know, like, this human recognizes us as sentient things. Like, it it respects us in some way. So we'll respect it by not eating it. (laughs) (laughs) Even though we very easily yeah. could. <laughs> yeah, more easier, easier. That's the word now. Yeah, more easily. easier than a tiger for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, they said that episode Jurassic Park one when they go over how easy it really is for a Velociraptor to take you down, and how scary that was, and and that has stuck with me. All the way through all four, five drastic movies that I've seen is those Velociraptors, something to be afraid of for sure. You know what I'm talking about? The very beginning of Jurassic Park 1, the little kid's like, that doesn't look scary. And then he's like, goes through the whole spiel. And he's like, my point is, you're still alive mm. when they start eating you. And you, everybody gets the little shakes, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, they build them up so well. There's that mo- like monologue Dr. Grant has, the, the when they show the cattle being lowered in, and all you see is like the ripped up cargo straps, and and they've like yeah. torn the metal apart almost. Um, yeah, it's... if. Uh, anytime you have more than one, like even one raptor is a threat, but if you have more than one, it's over. They've already, they've already outsmarted you. They already, they've already outmaneuvered you and you're done. And that's where my favorite Jurassic quote comes in, which is only two words, clever girl. (laughs) (laughs) They are very, very clever. Yeah. So quotable. Love the way he says it. Clever girl. And then he dies. (laughs) Um, and the Indominus Rex, we find out towards the end of the movie, also has raptor DNA. So it is a clever girl as well. Um, I love... What do you? How do you feel about the way that it escapes from its paddock? I love that. The suspense. Oh, and that's like, for me, a Jurassic movie is not a Jurassic movie if it's not suspenseful. You have to have that suspenseful moment. You have to see the water shake in the cup and know that it's coming. And that moment when she's like, get me the coordinates. And he's like, it's in the cage Mm. and people in the cage. And we're like, oh no. And you just kind of want to start yelling at the screen, like run, Chris, run. Like he's in there with you. How did that happen? But I just think that was really clever how, how he escaped. And I loved the suspense that it built. And, And I wouldn't expect anything less from a Jurassic movie. There has to be that level of suspense there. 
Yeah, they set that up really well, too, because when they first go, when Mizrani comes to visit and see it for the first time, uh, the first thing he notices is that that huge crack in the glass uh, that Claire is standing right next to. And he's like, what happened there? And she's like, oh, yeah, I tried to break the glass. No problem. It, it won't, though. She's very confident that, that it won't be able to. Um, they ha- yeah. I noticed they haven't replaced that broken glass. <laughs> um but then right. when Owen comes in to take a look, all of his questions and his assessment, uh, he's very disturbed by the way that they're containing it. He calls out the fact that, you know, this thing grew up in captivity. Um, it's literally never been even socialized with other dinosaurs. And he says something like the only the only thing it has a positive relationship with is that hook uh, because it knows that that means food is going to be dropped in. Um, and so, yeah, all, all of all the... I, I just... I kind of... As much as this thing is like dangerous and kills a lot of our 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 um, a lot of the guests and like a lot of the you know the nice dinosaurs that we really like and that's really sad. I I feel bad for it because of everything Owen says. Like it grew up in in a cage. All it could do every day is just sit there and calculate and plot. How am I going to get out of here? How am I going to outsmart these these jerks that are keeping me imprisoned? Um, yeah. And it comes up with a pretty good plan. Yeah, it really does. And like you said, it was set up so well, even at the beginning, she said, we're building the walls higher. It's bigger than we expected. And we need to build these walls higher. So then when you say it escaped over the wall, it's very believable. Like they're in the middle of building a higher. So I really believed like it escaped over the wall and it's not in the cage anymore. Um, the containment anymore. But um yeah, I, I do completely agree with you. It's like you feel sorry for the big monster in the movie and you realize who is the real monster in this movie? Who is the real antagonist? Who is the real problem? And it's um, greed, really, hmm. I would say. I think that's really when it comes down to it is you're going over earlier some of the motivations of Dr. Wu. And yes, I'm sure he's a passionate scientist and he enjoys what he's doing, but really... A lot of the motivation behind it is greed, pressure mm-hmm. from the boss to make the big dinosaur that's going to bring the attraction. And there's a lot of like, you know, greed that goes behind everybody's motivation and like how all of this comes about to begin with. Um, all the way back to Jurassic Park one, you know, it is, I don't think it's solely greed. It is adventure and discovery and, you know, the desire to like make something new and astonish people. And I think that, you know, um, spare no expense and make something amazing. Like there's that side of it as well. But when it comes right down to it, they get to a point where they're like, okay, how much had they invested in the Adraminus? Did I say that right? In, uh, Indominus. 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 I don't know why I was like, why did I feel like I just said that wrong? How much they had invested in the Indominus? I think they said was like 26 million or something like that. And she's like, like, that's a $26 million asset. We can't just kill it. And so they go after it with these non-lethal weapons. And it's like, where's this line where you're really going to put people's lives at risk for this investment that you have? So I think greed really is warning against greed and warning against, you know, trying to take control of something you can't ever take control of. It's, I think, a theme that we see really throughout the whole film. And from and even from Wu's perspective, I'd say the temptation is... Um not just greed, like not just money per se, but also the, as a scientist, the, the temptation to have like a legacy, you know, you're the first to create this, this living biological organism that, and it's the first of its kind ever. 
Um, you know, you're, it, he's already got a feather in his cap for being one of the first scientists to resurrect extinct dinosaurs. But now it's like, oh, I can, I can even further light, uh, 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 my legacy by creating something brand new that has never existed in nature before. And yeah, and that's why, that's why I don't hesitate to call him a bad guy or an evil character because at any point he could say like, yes, I could do this, but it's wrong, so I won't do it. But he right. never, he never stops himself. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. the Indominus, it, I looked this up, it means Indominus Rex. Uh, it, it's technically a, I think a misspelling uh, because it's from Latin, which I think the actual Latin word is indomitus, but not, I don't want to get too pedantic about that. Uh, Basically what it translates to is untamable king. And so like they they even named this thing a very ominous name that means like we're not going to be able to control it, but you know, we're going to build it anyway and put it in a cage (laughs) and then sell tickets to see it. Uh, So yeah, the real, you know what the real villains are? It is greed, it is corporation. It's Verizon Wireless because Verizon Wireless is putting up... um, (laughs) And you know what? They're they're not sponsoring this podcast, so I don't feel I can say that. Verizon right. Wireless, by the way, if you are listening and you want to sponsor this podcast, I will go back and retract my statement because <laughs> I'm also motivated by greed. With you, Starbucks and Jamba Juice. Yep. <laughs> Even Jimmy Buffett. Uh, I haven't said anything bad about Jimmy Buffett, but if he wants to sponsor me, go right, go right ahead. Yeah. Be my guest. <laughs> You're invited. <laughs> Um, yeah, he does, uh, yeah, he, uh, Wu says that the Indominus is going to be, like, 50 feet long when it's fully grown, and when they're checking out the paddock, they do say the, the walls are only 40 feet high, so they're already starting off with a terrible plan, and like you said, when they see the claw marks, it's very easy to believe as an audience member, yeah, oh, it could climb out of there, I don't see any reason why it couldn't, if they're, if they're, if they haven't finished building the walls higher, um, there's just, man, there's just so many reasons why they should have put a stop to all of this before, uh, before, it, before it got to the point that it did. But, you know, right. hubris got the better of us. And mm-hmm. uh, they went inside the cage and used that opportunity to reveal itself, um, eat one of the handlers, escape, eat another one of the, the handlers, uh, and then run off into the park and cause a bunch of havoc. Um, I would like to point out that Claire saves Owen's life first because when she first to go, go, when she first goes and visits him, she says, you might want to change your shirt. They're very sensitive to smell. And then Owen covers himself in gasoline. And that is how he first is not eaten and how his life is first saved. So props to Claire for saving his life first. (laughs) That's a really good point. I didn't notice that. Yeah, he, yeah, that's yeah. right. He like cuts the gas line when he's hiding under the truck. That's such a good point. She does save mm-hmm. his life. Yeah, I like I like Claire. Claire is. I feel like the the first half of the movie kind of sets her up as almost a villain. Like she's she's only concerned with these um, sponsors, and you know she's very buttoned up and she is very uptight. And when her when her nep- nephews are coming, one of them is like. Uh, she's like, oh, how long has it been? Just a couple years. And he's like, it's been seven years, Claire. And he doesn't even call her Aunt Claire. He just calls her Claire. Right. It's clear that, she, you know, she she cares about these kids, but she's not concerned with their day-to-day lives. She doesn't have a close bond or a close relationship with them. 
because um, yeah, she's kind of just in her own world and focused on her success and her her career, um, which is fine. But it's it's it feels like the movie is kind of setting up like she's very cynical. She's this type of corporate person. Um, so I was actually kind of worried, like, she, is she going to be eaten by the end of this movie? Because that the Jurassic movies tend to set up bad people to get their comeuppance. Um, and she's and the thing is, she never really crosses the line into bad. When things start going wrong, her immediate concern is let's, you know, save as many people as we can. Let's shut down things that we need to 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 save these 20,000 guests that we have in the park. Um, and so she's much more concerned with like human lives. Also, I kind of love the fact that that she never changes out of her heels. Uh, Owen Owen calls her out on her ridiculous shoes that she's wearing when they're like walking through the jungle, and she never takes those off. And then even at the end, they make it a point to show her running from the T Rex with those heels on, and she outruns it just enough to to get it to go fight the I Rex. Uh, so I just love that like little detail that like her her power heels like her outfit um, are not holding her back in any way. It's like, if anything, it's one of her strengths. Yeah, it does, and I don't know like more of the story behind this or like more into it, but I know that Bryce had actually insisted that her character keeps the heels on during the movie. Love and I'm that. not really. I would love to. Maybe I could look into if there's an interview with Bryce as to like why she insisted but for some reason she insisted that claire keeps her heels on and i guess she didn't have a problem doing it i can wear heels for about 10 minutes and i'm done so i don't know how (laughs) how bryce handled it but yeah she she does i guess it's part of her character you know that she is a heel wearing girl (laughs) i think that's what it is because if you're i don't know if you're if you're showing somebody running away from dinosaurs barefoot um there's kind of this like you know underdog kind of uh, like John McClane from Die Hard kind of thing. Like, oh, they lost their shoes or they're at a disadvantage or whatever. Uh, but she's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wear these heels. They are not going to slow me down. I am I am this badass that I can, I can run away from dinosaurs in these uh, three-inch heels. It does not matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just think it makes her more badass. I do, um, too. She never lost her, you know, sense of authority and her heels throughout the whole film. <laughs> and I didn't know that was Bryce Dallas Howard's decision. That, that makes it even cooler. Yeah, you go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, spoiler for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, uh, there is a moment, I'm, this, I might be misremembering it slightly, but the way she's introduced in both movies is almost exactly the same, where she's coming down an elevator and they, the camera starts on her shoes. And in this one, it's those iconic heels Later in the sec in the in the sequel to this movie, she's working for like a nonprofit um, that's trying to save the dinosaurs that were left behind on the island, and um, she they show her getting in this much lower budget elevator in this you know more rundown building wearing less expensive shoes. So I don't know if that's supposed to be like a character growth, uh, like a visual to show her character growth or something like that. Um, but I thought it was like a cool theme of, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, what Claire, is it Deering? Claire Darling? What's her last name? Deering? Deering. Claire Deering. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was just like a cool detail I noticed. 
Um, yeah, I love that so much in character development is just seeing like how much can a pair of shoes tell you about a character or, you know, Owen's little bungalow. How much <laughs> can you just see his bungalow and you just get it? You're like, I just know who this guy is because I saw his bungalow. And that's something I love to do when writing and directing films as well that I think you might have noticed in Lily Darling a, a little bit. Let me re-say that. Lily Darling. <laughs> you might have noticed in Lily Darling a little bit is like you can see so much about a character just by the fact that they have converse on that have been drawn all over or that like Darling's room is just completely filled from like top to bottom with like band posters and lights and things. And, you know, you can, there's so much character development that can go into these little details. Like she wears heels the whole time and his, his bungalow and his motorcycle, like he's so cool. Like his, his knife, like he always has a knife on him at all times and he's ready to cut that gas line. And I just love how you can add these little details that add so much to the character of someone. Yeah. It's uh, I don't think this is an accident. It makes them almost like live action figures, right? Like, cause there, of course there are, there's a toy for every character in every Jurassic park movie. Um, yeah. So I think that's part of it is like, yeah, this guy would come with a knife and, and boots and maybe like a wrench to fix his motorcycle or something. Uh, Claire's action figure would probably come with heels and maybe like a briefcase. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's those Anna? little. Oh God! Sorry. It's those little outfit details or accessories that people carry with them or always have on them that really just tell you a lot about them. So true. Yeah, and yet another reason to create another dinosaur is to sell that many more toys. Because if it was T Rex again, yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't have sold as many toys, right? <laughs> yep, and it is literally the same T Rex. Um, did you know that the the T Rex that shows up in this movie is literally the same one from the first movie? How? How? I'm trying to put this together. How old? How long do T Rexes live for? We're not talking about the second movie, the one that goes to San Diego. No, that's that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the first movie. Yeah. Um. Don't we see the T Rex bones when the two boys discover the old park and they get the old cars going and they walk through and they find the sign and they jump over a T Rex skull? Wouldn't that be the first T Rex dead in the? So yes, this is my this is my favorite detail about the movie. Um, the that when they go into that visitor center, it's the visitor center from the first movie, which yeah. was originally a fossil of a T Rex fighting like a fossil of I think a Brachiosaurus. And in that fight, when they're running from the raptors, those things get smashed to pieces. So that's the skull that they step over. Um, but the thing, the telling detail that proves that, uh, it's the same T-Rex is it actually has the same scars on the side of its head from its battle with the raptors in the first movie. Um, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, of course. So yeah, I saw that they jumped over the T-Rex skull and I assumed it was the T-Rex from the first one, but you're right. It started with all the bones hanging from the ceiling that came down. So that's what they must have jumped over. Mm -hmm. And then if it had the same scar, I mean, there's no denying that, right? Yep. It's uh, colloquially known as um, Roberta. Uh, the, the, um, the person who made a lot of the animatronics and claymation stuff from the first, the special effects supervisor, Phil Tippett, uh, he wrote a bunch of storyboards for a lot of sequences for the first movie, and he nicknamed the T-Rex um, Roberta, and it's been confirmed that this is the same Roberta uh, that's in Jurassic World. Oh, 
That's so fun. Good for her. She got recasted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a T-Rex has a lifespan uh, of about, well, we, we have no way of actually knowing, but um, uh, paleontologists theorize about 30 to 40 years, maybe. Um, yeah. So this this Jurassic World being 20 years later, it tracks that it's the same exact T-Rex. And also, yeah. most uh, most animals that are bred in captivity have a much, much longer lifespan than they do out in the wild. Um, elephants, for example. Uh, elephants that are, that are bred in captivity can live up to 80 or 90 years, when in nature they typically die around age 50 or 60 because elephants get exactly five sets of teeth and they fall out about one, every 10 years. So when an elephant reaches its fifth or sixth decade of life, Typically, it, when it loses its last set of teeth, it cannot feed itself anymore, and it dies from natural causes. Um, but in captivity, when an elephant gets older, they can make like a special paste for it that it doesn't need need teeth to eat, and they can live an extra twenty or thirty years. Fascinating! Wow, yeah, that is so cool. Um, who would I would have never thought that it was the same T Rex? I'm curious where it was for those uh, twenty years, though. <laughs> no. That's a good but, point. Yeah, because the because the first yeah. park, like they, I guess, because um, yeah, the first park was on Isla Nublar, and then the second movie revealed that they have this other island, Isla Sorna, Site B, which is where they like bred the dinosaurs and then shipped them over to the park. So yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know what happened when they, but then I guess so in this movie, Jurassic World, it takes place on the same island as the first one. It's like they literally built this park on top of the the, the old park. Um, so I don't know where, I don't know if they, if she stayed on the island, if they brought her to Site B during that time period. That's a really good question. I've never really thought about that. Where was she? Yeah, where was I mean, Roberta for twenty years? Island the whole time. Yeah, that that could be a whole side story. Where was Roberta for twenty years? <laughs> There is a video game uh, made by Telltale Games that goes into like you're a, you're like a agent from InGen and you're going to the island to retrieve that can of embryos that Dr. Nedry or not Dr. Nedry Dennis Nedry dropped um, to try to like you know get sell them to or whatever use them to resurrect dinosaurs and the T Rex is just running around the island because there's no fences anymore and everything is is broken down but I don't remember if there's like if they mention that they go back and contain all the dinosaurs later on or something like that. But I guess that's the only logical thing that they could do. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's, but I, I love the fact that it's the same T-Rex. It's like, for some reason that just makes it more fun when he, when he wins the fight against the Indominus. Yeah. Well, it's like the same exact ending to the first movie and this movie, you know, T-Rex comes and saves the day at the end, same exact one and everything. <laughs> He does. There's a point in that fight. Um, let's talk about that fight at the end because it's pretty awesome. Uh, the <laughs> they yeah. are um, a lot of stuff happens. Um, we don't need to go over every detail, but a lot of stuff happens. The park goes, you know, uh, goes wild. The IREX is smashing through fences, killing a bunch of dinosaurs. Um, towards the end, it ends up being uh, Owen and Claire and the two kids, um, and they're running away from the IREX. Uh, no, they're running away from the raptors. No, wait. Okay, they're running away from the Irex. The, the... I have the details wrong. <laughs> Irex. That's what I'll, I hate saying Andromedus Rex. I feel like I'm saying it wrong every time. And, I, like, you know, T-Rex and Irex. I'm going to call it Irex from now on. Thanks yeah, for like, 
like an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, like an iPhone, you know, like a T-Rex. So, <laughs> you're so funny. Uh, uh, so they're running and they, they um, oh, I, yes, it's after, so after Vic's terrible plan of, okay, uh, we couldn't contain it. Uh, Ms. Ronnie couldn't, you know, crash his helicopter trying to stop it. So the next plan is let's let the Raptors loose. They'll they'll help us stop the IREX, no problem, and they'll listen to us. Uh, that obviously goes exactly according to plan. No no hiccups whatsoever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it ends up with our four main heroes running through the the old the, the visitor center, the welcome center of the park, and the IREX encounters the the Raptors, and they kind of churn at that point. They're like oh, no, he's the alpha, or she's the alpha, um, and they're going to listen to her. But then Blue is like, nope, I'm loyal to Owen, Owen's my dude, uh, and decides to fight this thing that is four times its size, at the very least. Um, yeah. And then they're they're fighting each other, they're running around, it kills, uh, sadly, it kills a couple of the other dinosaurs from Blue's pack, um, Delta, Echo, and Charlie, and, uh, well, only two of them. One of them had gotten blown up by a rocket launch <laughs> a few minutes before that. Did you notice that? Like, that's something I actually did not notice the first time I watched the movie. Yeah. Because it happened so now fast. I go back yeah, I feel like that happens really quickly. But no, yeah, you're right. The first one gets blown up by the rocket launch and the other two. One of them gets hit into the barbecue. That was a little bit much. Yeah. I felt like. Yeah, I yeah. felt bad for these raptors too. Um, uh, and then, and then Claire gets this idea because I think uh, Gray says something like, "We need more teeth," uh, and she's like, "Oh, I've got an idea. I'm just going to go release the T Rex." So she goes and she opens. Well, she has um, Jake Johnson uh, from the control who stays behind in the control room open up the T Rex paddock, and it runs right into the welcome center and starts fighting the Irex. Uh, and then the, the raptor decides to team up with the T-Rex, um, and they fight this thing. There, there is a moment, though, where the T-Rex is going to lose. Like, the, the IREX, like, yeah. has it pinned. It looks like it's going to bite it. Um, and then it just gets distracted by, by the raptor. And then ultimately, it's this mosasaur that comes and finishes it off that we've almost forgotten about by this point, right? yeah. Because it's just yeah, laying down love, stunned. Yeah. I love that it's not actually the T-Rex and the Velociraptor and Blue who take out the IREX, but it's actually the Mosasaur and it comes out of the water and grab and it's so surprising and shocking the first time, but makes so much sense all at once. I just I love that that's the ending of it. It's just like the little cherry on top that you weren't expecting that you just love to see. It is. It's so unexpected and I think it I think it is it goes back to what you were saying about like this movie is more of a comedy than any of the other ones because it's it's so out of nowhere it's perfect comedic timing it's the last thing you would expect to resolve this fight um and it's just awesome to watch <laughs> Yeah, I love getting... the comedy. Even when Claire is asking for the paddock to be open for the T-Rex, what does she say? Something like, do something for once in your life or, or something in his response and everything about that was just, you know, they, they have the perfect amount of comedy sprinkled throughout the film from beginning all the way to the end. So I yeah, love it. Yeah, he's like, oh, why'd you have to make it personal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
So what do we do? Oh, so then, uh, so then, yeah, then they, um, everybody gets rescued. Uh, we kind of yada yada over a lot of the plot, but that's okay. <laughs> um, they get rescued and they, uh, they show, um, uh, Judy Greer shows up, the mom, um, the kids are, you know, reunited and Claire and Owen are like, so what do we do now? Uh, and Owen's like, oh, we probably, probably stick together for survival. Um, and we get this end sweeping shot of what the park looks like with all the dinosaurs loose and Roberta, like, standing on top of her kingdom and just roaring into the sunset. Uh, and it's a pretty epic closing image. Yeah, I love it. I love the ending. And, okay, maybe this is something we'll remove from the podcast because I might just be off my rocker. But I remember seeing this movie in theaters and wasn't there, like, a Christmas? Don't they go back? into like a living room and there's like a Christmas tree or something. And then was that removed from the movie or something? I'm like trying to Google this right now because it just occurred to me. Or am I thinking of a different movie altogether? You're not. When they, um, the beginning, the very beginning scene when we're seeing uh, the bird claw in the snow, like that's establishing that it's definitely December, winter, you know, probably December. Um, But then... I think it's when they, maybe when they go to the airport, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is playing, or it might just be like the non-diegetic uh, music playing in the background. Um, yeah. But I did write down, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is playing. And they do say something about like having one more family Christmas together before the divorce goes through. So it's it's supposed to be around Christmas. This is a Christmas movie, it turns out. It does take place during Christmas. I have this weird memory of seeing it in the theaters and having there be a scene at the end where they go back and have their one last family Christmas and there's a Christmas tree in the living room. But then when I watched it again, that scene wasn't there. So did they, was that scene in the original film when they removed it at some point? That's interesting. I'd have to research that, but I'm not sure. I'm trying to look it up. Do you remember this, Lewis? Do you remember seeing a scene at the end where they go back and have their final, like their final Christmas, and there's like a Christmas tree in a living room? It doesn't. I'm not recalling it. All of the Christmassy images that I can remember were from the beginning of the movie when they're leaving the house, and there's like a tree up in the living room or something. But I don't. But that might be. I don't know. That might be uh, apocryphal. Well, maybe you can remove that from the podcast, and I can go Google it and see what on earth is it that I'm thinking of. Because maybe I'm remembering some other ending scene of a movie with a family Christmas, and I'm like, but I could, I could, I'm almost, I'm like ninety percent sure. I'm almost sure. So anyway, maybe we can Google it and we can just don't worry about that for. for <laughs> Either way, the important, the the salient point is that uh, Jurassic World um, is a Christmas movie. That's unde- undeniable fact. It's a Christmas film. <laughs> yes. One of the cl- one of the classics. It's a Christmas classic Christmas movie because there was Christmas music playing at the airport. Yep. Every yeah. every December, I'm always like, let's watch It's a Wonderful Life and then Jurassic World right after. Like, we're going to do a double feature. Yeah, well, my, <laughs> my favorite Christmas movie is Die Hard. So mm. I'm pretty easily convinced that a Christmas movie is a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I'm one of those, those pro-Die Hard Christmas people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we did, we did scope over a lot of the plot, but I think we hit most of the important things. Uh, Stephanie, before we get to my big three questions about the movie, were there any other scenes or moments or anything else that you wanted to talk about? Um, 
that's a great question. I can think about that. And I also kind of want to ask you the same thing is, is I know that I can be a little jumpy with things that I think of that I get excited about and I want to talk about. So is there any parts that we skipped over that you wanted to make sure we didn't miss? Uh, let me look through my notes. Not really. I think, I think we kind of hit all the, all of my major points. Yeah. I always like seeing, you know, I feel like the best movies are character driven films and I like seeing character arcs in care in movies, you know, and I feel like Claire has a great character arc. The brothers have a character arc and stuff, but I also love seeing which characters really don't. I think sometimes those can be some of the strongest characters and some of the favorite characters. And I love that Owen does really does not have a character arc to mention in this film. Would you agree with that? Or do you feel like you see one for him? You're saying Owen doesn't really have, doesn't really change much. He doesn't really have an arc. Yeah. That is kind of, you're kind of right. Yeah. I kind of described him as an action figure earlier. And I think that's about, I think that's pretty accurate because he kind of starts out, he knows all of the important things he needs to know about the dinosaurs. He's the only one that is already compassionate towards them. Um, And he, by the end of the movie, it's just the movie just keeps proving his points all throughout. Um, I would say his only maybe growth moment comes from Claire, like you said, like she gives him the idea to cover his scent with the gasoline, and by the end of the movie, he's like a little bit a little bit nicer to her. Not, but he's still kind of mean to her throughout the movie, but he's a little bit nicer to her. So I guess that's growth, but it's it's probably the least growth of any of the characters. Yeah, definitely. I do love the kiss. You know, I'm I'm a writer, director of romance films, so I'm going to have to point out the kiss. And I love, I was watching the behind the scenes that Bryce was not warned. She didn't know that the kiss was coming. It wasn't originally oh. in the film. It was a very last minute thing. The director told Chris to go for it. And Bryce was completely surprised by it. And I just think that's so fun, you know, that they do that and get that authentic reaction, you know. And I apparently that kiss that she wasn't expecting, the very first one was the one that really ended up in the movie, too. So that's pretty fun. Interesting. I love that moment because she saves him. Like, she shoots the the thing that's about to eat it. I think it's a dimorphodon uh, that's about to eat him. And she, like, just keeps shooting at the tranquilizers. And he's just, like, so impressed with her badassness. Um, it's the kind of thing that, like, typically you'd see in an action movie. Like, the guy saves the girl, and then she's like, oh, my gosh, and, like, runs up and kisses him. So I kind of love that it was, like, a little bit of a reversal there. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> love it. Um, and then speaking mm. of deleted scenes, though... Um, one of the scenes that was deleted that I'm a little disappointed, and I don't know if you realize this, but they actually, have you seen the deleted scene where they completely cover themselves with, with dino poo? No. Are you serious? So, um, you know, after she rolls up her sleeves and unbuttons her shirt and ties it up and he's like, what does that mean? She's like, it means I'm ready. They actually go and find one of those giant triangular mounds of dino poo from like the first movies and they grab it and they cover themselves completely in poo. And then that scene was deleted from the film. But you can see in the movie that from that scene to the next one, she has what you think is mud on her decollete for the rest of the film. But it's actually dino poo. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) 
like, how do they get so dirty so quickly? And it's, you just assume it's from running through their woods, but it was really from a deleted scene of covering themselves in poo, which I wonder why did they delete that scene? Was it a length thing or was it because they think too many people are going to get too grossed out by it? <laughs> the film because it was I was pretty you know jaw dropped watching that deleted scene maybe a little bit of both they do set a precedent for that in the series because in Jurassic Park 3 uh, when they find the kid and he's been surviving on the island for a while I think he has like a jar of T-Rex pee um, and Dr. Grant is like how did you even collect that (laughs) and he's like you don't want to know um, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, but I think he says that he's been using it to sort of mask his scent and like be able to to get around and or no he uh, he's using it to keep the the other dinosaurs away um, because they're yeah, afraid he of says the, it scares yeah. away the little ones yeah, yeah. so that's yeah. that's a very, it's a smart plan uh, I now I know what I would do if I was stuck on a dinosaur island. <laughs> Uh, find some gasoline or some poo or something. Do you watch <laughs> um, The Walking Dead? Have you seen The Walking Dead? No, I don't. I don't watch The Walking Dead, but I have seen Shaun of the Dead. Great film. Mm. <laughs> uh, Walking Dead. I, I won't say too much about it, but it's um, in, in its early seasons. It was great, and one of the things that they that they came up with was uh, covering themselves in zombie guts at one point, because they had to walk through a crowd of zombies. Um, mm. and it, it, kind of a similar thing. Like, you know, you, you mask your scent or you smell like the, the dinosaurs. And that's a good way to, to camouflage yourself or hide from them. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to life and death, I guess I'd be willing, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I could, de- yeah, I could definitely see audiences being grossed out by that. And then, like, because then you have to think about that the rest of the movie. Every time you see, like, a little you know, mud, mud, quote unquote, mud stain on them. You're like, ah, but I know what that is. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, that's a cool detail, though. I, I really am, I'm definitely going to go back and watch those deleted scenes. I can't believe I haven't. Um, uh, yeah, I love deleted scenes and director commentaries and behind the scenes, all that kind of thing's my favorite. Anytime I finish a movie and we, Jurassic World has a lot of them too. I haven't even seen them all. I, I'm excited to go back and watch more of it. Ooh, I got to check this out. Uh, all right, Stephanie, are you ready for Lose Big Three? Yes, of course. I'm excited. All right. So uh, I think that you've listened to an episode or two, so you might have heard my, my friend Ryan singing the, the Lose Big Three theme, theme song. So I'm just going to put a little cue for myself for that. Lose Big Three, it's you and me. We're going to have fun with Lose Big Three. Thank you, Ryan. Great job singing the theme song. Thank you for that. That was great. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Uh, so, Lose Big Three, number one. Uh, Stephanie, hmm. what is your favorite dinosaur kill in this movie, um, or maybe in the whole entire Jurassic series? Mm. Oh my gosh, I should have been, I should have come prepared for this. There's so many great dinosaur kills, but you're putting me on the spot to choose one. <laughs> oh no, what am I going to do? <laughs> do you want to circle back to this question? There are well, so many great kills. Hold on. Can I have, can I have two minutes? Sure. Yeah. Right on time. Okay. Um, let me see here. Hmm. 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 I don't know. There's so many good kills. Like, how do I pick one? Um, I don't know why. Okay, 
So I, I don't know if it's my number one favorite, but one of my favorite kills is actually in Jurassic Park 2 when they are hiding from a T-Rex in a waterfall and a guy has a snake crawl on him. And apparently he's so afraid of snakes that he chose getting eaten alive over having a snake crawl on him. And to me, I think that that says a lot about fear and about overcoming fears and rationalizing your fears. Like really you have a snake phobia. You're going to jump into the mouth of a T-Rex. So that, um, kill really, and I'm exaggerating, you know, he didn't jump into the mouth of a T-Rex, but he really let himself get spooked by a snake to lose his concentration and then, and actually be able to be caught by this T-Rex. So I actually, I thought that was a really entertaining kill for sure. Absolutely. And that guy's a paleontologist too. Uh, he's like the dinosaur expert that InGen brings to the park in the second movie. And yeah, it, he, it is almost like, I think you're right. Like it is almost like he runs straight through the waterfall, almost directly into the jaws of the T-Rex. Yeah. So um, it, it is, it is a, you could, it's definitely a life lesson. Overcome your fear of snakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes down to it, that was really the reason that he died. Do you have a favorite kill in Jurassic Park? My my all time favorite from all of the movies is the first one. Uh, it's a classic. It's I think it's the first one that we see. Um, it's when when uh, Gennaro, the lawyer, gets eaten on the toilet. It's just so iconic. Everything about the way it's set up is perfect with him abandoning the kids, and then like the the T Rex just knocks the whole entire straw building out, and he's just sitting there on this toilet in the middle of nowhere in the rain. Uh, it's just it, absolutely perfect and and funny, uh, but terrifying at the same time. Um, so that's my all-time favorite. In this movie, I have two, and it's kind of a coin toss. One of them is, they're both pteranodons. Uh, one of them is when Mizrani is flying the helicopter and the pteranodon crashes through the windshield and just impales the guy through the chest. Uh. Yeah, that was really <laughs> shocking. You don't see that coming in all of a sudden, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then later, they they pick up the girl that was like the the woman that was like the babysitter for the two kids. I think her mm-hmm. name is Zara. And they like pick her up. They drop her. Another one comes and they're like fighting over her. And they drop her into the Mosasaur tank. And then she almost gets out. But then, <laughs> the Pteranodon the, the picks her up. The Mosasaur eats the Pteranodon and her at the same time. And it's just like way over the top. And very, it's yeah. almost like a Final Destination death, the way, like, there's so many moving pieces to it. It really is. It's so Final Destination. It is probably one of the most over-the-top kills in the entire series of all of Jurassic Park, for Definitely. sure. I don't know what to say. Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, of the Jurassic series. Yeah. yeah. Very entertaining, for sure. And, of course, you're you're right. The most iconic has got to be the lore getting eaten off the toilet. Yeah. It doesn't get better Never has, never will, and that's okay. It's okay for something to be so good it's unbeatable. Mm. What about in, in World? What's your favorite one in Kill in Jurassic World? Um, I think you kind of took mine a little. Zara is okay. very it's intense. It's very over the top, um, which is fun. I'm trying to think, like, which other... How does... Um, remind me, how does... Uh, Vic die. Ooh, the, this is fun too. How do I not remember? I'm like 
pacing on how he dies. So it's after they uh, they get out of the jungle where all the raptors are, are chasing everybody. After they um, they churn because the the Irex like becomes the alpha of the pack. So the raptors start taking out all of his mercenaries one by one, and everybody ends up escaping into the lab. And oh man, this is another thing we didn't we skipped entirely over. When they get into the lab, they they like briefly show a couple of other hybrid animals and hybrid dinosaurs that they've been creating unethically. Um, on screen, briefly, they show a what looks like a, a cross between a t- uh, stegosaurus and a triceratops, which I really wish we had gotten to see something like that. Um, but then uh, Vic says something ironic about... Uh, I, wish I, I wish I had written the line down, but he says something like really ironic right before a raptor comes in and he's like, whoa, whoa, stop, stop, stop. Um, and and Owen, Claire, and the two kids, like, use that opportunity to escape. And Vic puts his hand out, and the raptor just, like, clamps, like, clamps right down on his arm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good one, too. That's right. He's in the middle of giving one of his weird, twisted speeches about progress and military and stuff right when the raptor comes in and eats him. So that was pretty satisfying. So that would be a pretty good kill, I'd say, for Jurassic World. Yes. Yeah. Uh, All right. Um, Lose Big Three, number two, kind of a related question. Stephanie, if you were in a situation like you're trapped in a dinosaur park on a dinosaur island uh, and everything goes wrong and the fences are down... Mm-hmm. How many um, and which dinosaurs do you think you could actually fight? Oh, <laughs> that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> what were you saying? I was expecting you to say, like, what would be your survival technique? And I would really like to share that with you as well, if you don't mind. Absolutely. My survival technique would be to play dead. They never try this in the Jurassic movies. But if I just laid there in the fetal position and cried... Do you think a te- do you think a Velociraptor would still go after me? I don't know. Can I can I <laughs> can I give you some weird. bad news? What? Uh, T Rexes are theorized to be more scavengers than hunters. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> so don't play dead for a T Rex. Hold still though. For yeah. A, for a um, Velociraptor, I'm curious if how playing dead would work because they're very smart. They're intelligent. They seem to be like caring and loving creatures. They're very intense about their baby egg getting stolen in the third one. Mm-hmm. And I think if I just lay in the fetal position and cried, they might just run right past me. That's my theory. Because running, what's the point, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You're not going to outrun them. Definitely not. Definitely not going to outrun them. But good to know that T-Rexes are more of a scavenger. Plus, I feel like a T-Rex might just accidentally step on you. Mm-hmm. If you were in that, if you were trying that. But you're back to your actual question. Um, which was who, who, which could I actually fight? Yeah. Are there any dinosaurs you think you could win the fight against? (laughs) Probably, um, maybe, maybe a long neck. Okay. I mean, they don't even have like, like, you know, the, uh, triceratops, at least like they have horns things or the, I, I should really learn the names of more of these dinosaurs, but the ones with the spikes on their tails. Stegosaurus. You know, so, okay. Stegosauruses at least have spikes on their tails, and Triceratops at least have the horns and things. But a, a, a long neck, they really don't have any anything to to get you with. I guess teeth. 
teeth would be the only thing. Avoid okay. the teeth. They also have a really long neck, mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot a way to kill a dinosaur would be to chop off its head. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of distance of head chopping off available to you if you were to fight a long neck. So that would be my dinosaur of choice, especially if it could be Littlefoot from Land Before Time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I don't know if I could take an adult Brachiosaurus uh, or Brontosaurus, but I could I could fight Littlefoot. I think I could yeah. fight Littlefoot. I would pick Littlefoot or Guppy. <laughs> <laughs> and again, listeners, to be clear, I don't want to fight Littlefoot. Um, I'm just saying, in a in a cage match, if it's if it's if if I'm defending my life, I think I could take Littlefoot. Near <laughs> Littlefoot. If it was my choice, I would be best friends with Littlefoot. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. How great of a childhood did we have that we grew up on the land before time? Mm. I mean, that is so good. You know, it's Spielberg mm-hmm. before time. And I'm like, come on. Like, this is why we have such great taste. Because we yep. got to be on land before time in Spielberg cartoons. Like, yeah. how lucky are we? <laughs> um, Lose Big Three, number three. Uh, in, the, in the climactic scene... When uh, that we've kind of described and discussed, where where the T Rex is fighting the Irex, um, there's that moment I kind of zoomed in on where the Irex has the T Rex pinned. It's about to go for the neck. Looks like the fight's over. Blue, the Raptor, shows up out of nowhere <laughs> and decides to put its own life at risk and jump on the back of this thing and essentially saves Roberta's life. Uh, so my yeah. question is, why? Why did it make that decision? Yeah. Well, I think the reason it came out of nowhere is because Irex had knocked it out. So Mm -hmm. it had fainted and then it killed the other two Velociraptors. So Blue was the only one who wasn't killed. He was knocked out and he was passed out, laying there, fainted on the ground and woke up just in the nick of time perfectly to come and save Roberta. So I think that's that's the perfectly clear explanation as to what the script writers had done. There's no there's no luck there. Just how, you know, it doesn't work out that way. Um, But why I think. I mean, my explanation is that he had kind of received an order from Owen, you know, his alpha to help him defeat this Irex. And, you know, he's still obeying his last order that he had received, you know, is kind of potentially an answer. Um, I think maybe another answer is because T-Rex is the good guy and Irex is the bad guy. And Blue knows this. You can recognize that. You can recognize that. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, they are very intelligent. I I think it's um I think it's like logical deduction. I think it's that, you know, he's he's looking at the situation and he knows if the Irex wins this fight, it's coming after me next. Like eventually somewhere down the line, I'm going to be in the middle of the jungle and this thing is if it survives is going to come after me and it can kill me. Um so if I take this opportunity to to take it out, I don't have to worry about that for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well said. Yeah. Uh, All right. So, uh, so that is those, that was lose big three. Those are my three biggest questions about uh, this movie. Um, However, Every episode of Robots vs. Dinosaurs, I always like to ask two bonus questions. Stephanie, are you ready for the bonus questions? Woohoo! Yeah, bring it! All right, bonus question number one. This is a segment we call What's Your Snack? Stephanie, what's your snack? 
when you watch movies, uh, whether you're at the theater or maybe like um, when you're watching movies at home, do you have a favorite thing to snack on? You know, it's the most typical snack of all time. I do eat a lot of popcorn while I watch movies. Love popcorn and movies, but um, a snack that I also have from time to time that's a little more unique to me would be that I do like to dip potato chips in mustard. It's really good. Mm. You should try it. You will thank me if you try it. <laughs> it pairs okay. together. Um, but yeah, I do love snacking while watching a movie. I think those two things just go together so well. You know, ultimate relaxation. <laughs> Um, can I, can, can I talk about where I saw somebody put mustard on potato chips recently? Or is that a spoiler that, um, that's not a spoiler. We can talk about this. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a real thing like that, 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 uh, so, okay. Listeners in, in Lily Darling, um, which again, link in the show notes, if you want to subscribe to pure magic pictures and watch this wonderful pop punk romance film, one of the characters, her little, her little detail, her little telling quirk that tells you so much about her is uh, they show her putting mustard liberally on this potato chip and eating it. Um, so, so Stephanie, that came from real life. That's something that like you that you really do. Yeah, ever since like junior high, I dip potato chips in mustard, and everybody who tries it, I think a lot of people are really pleasantly surprised. It's not that far off as you might think. If you like like vinegar, vinegar potato chips, totally. Um, or if you thought of dipping like potatoes and mustard you know like 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 that but um but yeah it's yeah. actually really, really yummy potato chips dips and mustard is really good so yeah it, it nothing about it sounds gross uh it's <laughs> yeah. just it's just yeah it's just something I wouldn't have thought of um until it's presented to me or suggested to me so yeah and I've had uh like honey mustard potato chips before so that's you know almost the same thing there you go yeah and you know I was about the age of the character darling when I started eating it. So when I was thinking back to that time in my life, I was reminded of like, oh yeah, that's when I started eating potato chips and mustard. So it kind of made its way into the, into the script. And I like, you know, unique quirky things about characters is always fun. Awesome. Um, that's great. That's an awesome, awesome snack. I am going to try that. I'm going to, I'm going to buy a bag of chips and I don't actually know if I have mustard either. I'm going to get some mustard too. And I'm going to try that out as an experiment. Remember, mustard has zero calories. So you just add as much mustard as your heart desires. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My snack is uh, when I saw the first Jurassic Park in theaters, um, I got I remember like I don't know why I remember this so vividly, but I had a little bag of Sour Patch Kids. And so it's kind of a tradition for me. Anytime I watch a Jurassic movie, um, I always get myself a bag of uh, Sour Patch Kids. So that's sweet. So that's what I was eating when I was watching Jurassic World this weekend. Um, I love that you remember that. I do not know what I was watching. I do not know what I was eating the first time I watched Jurassic Park. I was way too young. for. Mm. (laughs) In fact, I was a little too young. I definitely have had (laughs) my fair share of there's a T-Rex in my house nightmares (laughs) when I was little from watching that movie. (laughs) Uh, Stephanie, our final bonus question if we were to recast Jurassic World with Danny DeVito and Whoopi Goldberg, what characters mm-hmm. or dinosaurs would you replace them with, and how would that improve the film? 
Well, I would straight up replace Chris Pratt with Danny DeVito and let Danny DeVito be the action hero star, you know, lead guy of the film. I think that would be so fun to watch. It would it would improve the film because it would make it um, more funnier. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with something over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then what? Who is it? Whoopi Goldberg? Did you Whoopi say? Goldberg. Yeah, Claire. We'll just replace Claire with Whoopi and we get to see Danny DeVito and Whoopi Goldberg fall in love. It would be hilarious. <laughs> it's what the fans want. Absolutely. Exactly. What the fans want. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I have no arguments with Danny DeVito as Owen Grady. That's just perfect. As soon as I pictured that in my head, like him with his hand, that scene where he's got like his hands out when he's in the middle of the cage and all four raptors are surrounding him. Like, yeah. Just that, but the but the guy is two feet shorter is hilarious <laughs> to me. I know, right? Instead of putting his hands out, he's putting his hands up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's you know what? It would also have the kind of visual effect of like Claire running away in heels. Like you'd think this this guy because he's so much smaller wouldn't be able to stop these raptors, but it's even more impressive that they're they're obeying and like respecting tiny little Danny DeVito. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, and then Whoopi Goldberg. Um, yeah, I could definitely see her as Claire or maybe as Mizrani, like the owner of the park, uh, who's like a little self-confident and cocky and and not as great of a pilot as she thinks she is. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I love it. That's hilarious. It would definitely, like we've said, this movie is such a comedy. But I think it would definitely take um, take the movie to a comedy one step further. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe two or three steps further. In <laughs> fact, <laughs> um, I don't take the movie seriously at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay because it's you know we want it we want to be scared and we want to laugh and we want to feel emotions. So that's what we go that's what we go to see big blockbuster movies for, right? Not just one. Thing. We want to have a, a ride. We want to have a whole journey. Yeah, exactly. Was there a part of the movie that made you laugh the most? Ooh, good question. Ah, oh, man. It was, uh... It might have been, it might have been the guy getting impaled by the Tyranitan. <laughs> as grim as that sounds. Like, it was just so out of nowhere. Um yeah. I mean, they did shocking. set it up. It, it was shocking, yeah. And I was just like, oh, man, that's awesome. I never thought I would see that happen. Yeah, the shock laugh. It's definitely a style of comedy of, like, telling a joke that's not even funny. It's just shocking, and people laugh, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Did you have a favorite comedic moment? Oh, oh, man. there. I loved so... There was so much of that movie that that just made me laugh. But I think probably... When um, when Owen is talking to Claire and says, you know, animals have instincts; they they like to hunt and things. And you got you can relate to something some of that. I think it's just so funny because you know Claire really comes across like this robot, you know, and mm. and uh, the way that he says that, and you know, Chris's performance in the whole movie is is so hilarious. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, Stephanie, what do you mm-hmm. think is cooler, robots or dinosaurs? And does this movie help you build your case in any way? Oh, man. So, uh, I feel like a betrayer 
because we just did this whole conversation about Jurassic World, but I kind of like robots more than Uh, dinosaurs. Scandalous. (laughs) I know, it's so scandalous. I think that dinosaurs are very cool and very fun, but I like the idea of robots more because I because it's more practical and realistic that like, I think there's a very real opportunity. We will have robots in our future, in our lifetime mm-hmm. versus bringing back dinosaurs. I think the odds are a little bit slimmer. And so that's why I'm a little more fascinated by robots. I think I agree with you. Um, I ask this question a lot. I try to ask every guest that question. And I think it, what it comes down to is kind of what you said. Like it's, 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 are you more, looking back into history or are you more concerned with the future and robots represent the future and i've always been more more fascinated by the future than the past um dinosaurs are very cool uh there's this new like series that just came out on apple tv that's like a it's called prehistoric planet it's like this nature documentary with cg dinosaurs um highly recommend it earth so i'm gonna have to watch that uh, and it's it's even like hosted by Richard Attenborough. Um, it's very very good, um, and I love watching it. I love seeing I love seeing that. I love seeing dinosaurs, you know, getting blown up by rocket launchers or eating people or stabbing them through the chest or whatever. Um, I love all of that. But but yeah, robots are the future, and I'm more I'm more leaning into the future. I'm heading into the future. I'm not getting younger, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's the direction we're going. Exactly. Maybe when they invent time travel, I'd uh, go back and, would you go back, would you want to go back and look at dinosaurs, like, in in the actual Cretaceous period or whatever, if you could time travel? Mm, I think if I could only time travel in one direction, I'd be more fascinated to time travel to the future as well. I'm a very, I guess I'm a very futuristic kind of (laughs) gal. There's also less risk of completely uh messing everything up through the butterfly effect so yeah that is so true i have seen the movie where a butterfly gets stepped on in the prehistoric (laughs) era and and we are no longer human beings (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh so awesome stephanie thank you so much for hanging out with me today and bringing this awesome dinosaur movie one of the best um onto the podcast so we could talk about it this was a very fun conversation Please tell the listeners where they can find you online and remind them once again uh, where they can subscribe to Pure Magic Pictures. Definitely. So you can subscribe to Pure Magic Pictures at puremagicpictures.com. It's the streaming service that my husband and I own together where we create all of our own movies and TV shows and distribute them directly to our own little fan base. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you, you can find my punk rock romance that takes place in 2006 on there called Lily Darling. You can also find an adventure film that my husband wrote and directed called Plunder Quest, as well as a feel-good news show that Lewis is one of the writers for and a comedy late-night show that Lewis is also one of the writers for. So we would love to invite you to come and check out Pure Magic Pictures. And we're also on Instagram at Pure Magic Pictures and TikTok, if that's your jam, at Pure Magic Pictures. (laughs) So thank you so much for having me. I really love this conversation so much and I appreciate you taking the time and having me as as a guest on your show. It's been so fun. Anytime in the future, if you decide that you want to talk about a robot movie or another dinosaur movie, let me know and I'd love to have you back as a guest. I would love to. I will let you know. Ex Mahina is next on my list. (laughs) Nice. All right. That sounds great. 
Uh, well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, if you want to send in your thoughts about this movie or opinions or questions or just hate mail, uh, which I'll, I'm always willing to read on air, um, it's robosvdinos at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. The biggest, baddest dinosaurs. I just think it makes her more badass. Clever girl.